This summer for our sermons, we are choosing our own scriptures rather than doing a whole series. Though, if you listen carefully, each of our individual sermons are still linked in important ways with the others. Today's sermon may have come to me from the power of an earworm. That is a bit of song that stuck in my head and I couldn't get rid of. The Holy Spirit does work in mysterious ways. You see, the musical Hamilton is now available to watch as a film, and my family watched it together a couple of weeks ago. The musical centers around the American Revolution, particularly the relationship between Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. Because it's about the revolution, George Washington is also a major character. And in the musical, we see George Washington working out his farewell address as he is retiring from the presidency after two terms, rather than staying on for more years. And Washington sings, If I say goodbye, the nation learns to move on. It outlives me when I'm gone. Like the scripture says, everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. They'll be safe in the nation we've made. I want to sit under my own vine and fig tree, a moment alone in the shade, at home in this nation we've made, one last time. And from that song, I got the line, everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, stuck in my head for days and days. It's a quote from Micah 4.4. And happens to be a verse I always thought was a lovely vision of God's promised peace. It turns out that this was a favorite phrase of George Washington's. It's the passage he quotes most in his writing, citing it more than four dozen times in personal letters, particularly as he was anticipating his retirement. It was a phrase that gave him hope and a vision for the future for himself and for his country. Hamilton is an exciting musical in the way that it brings to life a chapter of our American history through very vivid song and dance. But whether or not you've seen Hamilton, you may agree that the thing that is special about theater or film or even a well-written book is how it can capture the imagination and help us see and understand situations in a new way. So, Thanks to this earworm, the song phrase stuck in my head, sung by quote unquote George Washington, prompted me to go back and reread Micah, and the book spoke to me about our current times more than I expected. Since we are in our summer series, where we are selecting each selecting individual scriptures to preach on, I chose a section from the book of Micah. Before we hear our scripture for today, I want to set the scene. The book of Micah is a small book in the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament. Micah is known as one of the 12 minor prophets in the Bible. Minor because the books are short, not because the prophets are not important. Micah lived in the second half of the 8th century BCE. He was a contemporary of the more well-known prophet, Isaiah. Micah was from the rural Judean town of Morsheth 
and he prophesied during the time of the kings Jothan, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Beyond that, we don't know a lot about the prophet Micah specifically, but in general, to be prophesying in public was not an easy thing to do. And sometimes it was quite dangerous because prophets like Micah were very vocally criticizing kings and other powerful leaders of their time. Sometimes we think of prophesying as foretelling the future. And there is an element of that involved in prophesying, but prophesying also means calling to account and stating clearly what's happening in contemporary time, that is the time of whoever is prophesying, and also foretelling what that contemporary time might mean for the future. The prophets in the Bible speak, they say, the word of the Lord that comes to them. And the first chapter of the book of Micah specifically says that as the word of the Lord came to Micah, Micah was prophesying against the wealthy and powerful who were corrupt and dooming Jerusalem to destruction. You see, after a long period of peace in Israel and Judah, these two northern and southern kingdoms make up what we know as ancient Israel. Micah is witnessing to the fact that peace has ended and neighboring Assyria has risen as an aggressive and expanding superpower, raiding the nearby kingdoms over a number of years, including Israel and Judah. And this made life unstable for many people, particularly those who were refugees from the wars. Jerusalem in the south was not besieged by the Assyrians, um, was besieged by the Assyrians, but it did not fall. However, the northern kingdom was overtaken, and many, many people were taken captive off their lands as exiles and forcibly resettled. And about a hundred years later, Jerusalem did fall to the Babylonians, as Micah prophesied, and the temple was destroyed. Micah attributes the fall of the kingdom of Israel and the later fall of Jerusalem to divine punishment for the corruption of the kings, religious leaders, and those in the judicial system who were lining their own pockets, while meanwhile the poor were suffering and hungry. Micah in the book condemns the injustice of creditors who manipulated credit and the courts um, to who foreclosed on family farms, and religious leaders who were showmen and crowd pleasers, bowing to popular opinion and paid on commission to give out favorable prophecies. Micah calls out corrupt leaders that were dooming Jerusalem. In the book, Micah speaks harsh words of judgment and gloom, yet he cycles through lament and into confidence in God, and cycles out of judgment into hope, providing a clear vision of peace and well-being for the people and the land. In the scripture reading for today, listen for the voice of judgment paired with a vision of healing and hope. Let's listen as our scripture is read. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Micah, chapter 3, verse 9, through chapter 4, verse 5 of the Common English Bible. 
Hear this, leaders of the house of Jacob, rulers of the house of Israel, you who reject justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with injustice. Her officials give justice for a bribe, and her priests teach for hire. Her prophets offer divination for silver, yet they rely on the Lord, saying, Isn't the Lord in our midst? Evil won't come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field, Jerusalem will become piles of rubble, and the Temple Mount will become an overgrown mound. But in the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of the mountains. It will be lifted above the hills. Peoples will stream to it. Many nations will go and say, Come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God, so that he may teach us his ways, and we may walk in God's paths. Instruction will come from Zion, and the Lord's word from Jerusalem. God will judge between the nations and settle disputes of mighty nations which are far away. They will beat their swords into iron plows and their spears into pruning tools. Nation will not take up sword against nation. They will no longer learn how to make war. All will sit underneath their own grapevines, under their own fig trees. There will be no one to terrify them, for the mouth of the Lord of heavenly forces has spoken. Each of the peoples walks in the name of their own God, but as for us, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and always. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Amen. Whenever we read or hear scripture, each of us listens to that scripture with a certain lens or point of view for understanding. Biblical scholars call this a hermeneutical lens, which just means the point of view from which we are studying or understanding scripture. For example, we might ask, are we reading the Bible to understand the history in the Bible or of the Bible? Are we reading as poetry scholars? Are we reading for the voice of the dominant culture or listening for the voice of the marginalized within the scripture verses? As I was researching Micah, I came across a scholarly journal article by a man named Alfonso Greenwald from the University of Pretoria in South Africa that proposed a particular hermeneutical lens for reading Micah reading informed by the understanding of the trauma that the people of the time were undergoing and using knowledge from our modern day trauma studies to inform our interpretation of the book. Over the last century, particularly as the 20th century cycled through war after war, psychologists and sociologists have begun to understand more and more how trauma affects us as individuals and communities. According to this article by Grenwald, trauma is a psychological sense, in a psychological sense, an encounter with death. It is when we are made terribly aware of our vulnerability. And human beings experience trauma when we are drawn into the sphere of death through an experience 
or experiences. As these radical experiences destroy our familiar world and all knowledge of operating within it. Essentially, trauma makes us lose our orientation. We lose our anchor in the world and we aren't sure how to make sense of anything anymore. Before the scripture was read, we talked about what was going on with the people of ancient Israel in Micah's lifetime. And Micah gives a voice to the anger and anguish that ordinary people felt in suffering at the hands of a corrupt leadership and under the trauma of war and with a very real fear about the future destruction of Israel, or of Jerusalem that came true. And with it, the loss of the temple, which the people believed was the literal house of God, that God resided there. The people had lost their sense of orientation and couldn't make sense of the world around them. And Micah brings God into this conversation and points people to see how the corrupt leadership and violent, greedy behavior was displeasing to God in bringing God's judgment and causing chaos and destruction. Many of today's readers shy away from the Old Testament books like Micah because of the description of destruction as God's wrath. And this is where understanding your own lens for reading the book can be helpful. If you don't believe in what some people see as an angry Old Testament God, Perhaps you believe that all things work together for good to those who love God, as Paul says in Romans, or that God has a plan for you, as the prophet Jeremiah said, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And when difficult times come, perhaps you are asking yourself, where is God in all of this? And what's the plan, God? These are exactly the questions that Micah is answering for the people of his time within their understanding of the world, their religion, and their relationship with God. The regular people, meaning not the leadership, who were suffering from the corruption of the government, the abuse of the poor, and the terror of war, wanted to know where God was, and Micah gives them an answer, essentially saying, God is here condemning those leaders who are abusive and corrupt. This destruction is their fault. Those leaders have strayed from our covenant with God. They are not walking in God's ways, and they are causing the fall of Jerusalem. Now, we would not necessarily theologically interpret war or other tragedies in the same way as they did in Micah's time. However, as my Old Testament professor once pointed out, historically, the mass corruption in the government and leadership of the time, coupled with extreme economic inequality, made Israel and Judah's society and government unstable, and therefore much more vulnerable to caving in on itself, either from the inside or from pressure on the outside. Prophets like Micah are the voices that are calling this truth out within their theological framework. 
In Micah's time, the people were disoriented, and the purpose of the prophecy was to reorient the people away from their selfish, destructive, tragic behavior towards living the peaceful way of life that God intended. Micah did not just call out societal ills, leaving people bereft of any hope for things to get better. He paired this prophecy with a strong vision of prosperity and peace and God's continued presence among them. To reorient the people, coupled with the voice of judgment, Micah brings to life a beautiful, poetic vision of the mountain of God, where people come from all over to learn how to live peacefully, following in the way of God, so much so that they no longer train for war anymore, but instead sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and there will be no one to terrify them. The grapevine and the fig tree represent the bounty of the promised land, as mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy. The vine and fig tree are biblical symbols of national and individual security, peace, and prosperity. In the Bible, figs also symbolize life and fertility, while grapevines symbolize life, fecundity, and God's blessing. To plant a grapevine and a fig tree and to be able to eat their fruit without any terror or fear implies a long and undisturbed habitation. In our lives today, like the people of Micah's time, we are in the midst of many situations that are making us afraid, causing us to lose our anchor points and making it hard to make sense of the world. To state the absolute obvious, we are in the midst of a global and national trauma of the coronavirus pandemic, coming on the heels of our own local traumas with the Tubbs and Kincaid fires. We are also facing centuries-old trauma of oppression of the Black community, finally surfacing in the consciousness of white people who witnessed the video recording or still photos of the murder of George Floyd. Each of these collective traumas contain personal and individual tragedies, which many of you are, I am sure, all too familiar with. And similar to Micah's time, our contemporary politics seem to be in service to building the personal wealth of some of our leaders while covering over corruption. There are more parallels than these between Micah's time and ours, so I encourage you to spend some time in the book of Micah, because down through all the centuries, Micah's voice still cries out to us today. And when we listen, what is the call of the scripture? Micah's vision reminds us that there can never be peace as long as people consume beyond their means or covet a neighbor's belongings to satisfy a rapacious appetite. For as long as people have the desire and the power to take more than they need, those people 
will always live in fear of the rising up of the people on whose backs they have built their wealth and will use violence and corruption to maintain that wealth, status, and privileged position and to guarantee continued inequity in society through promoting fear, acts of war, and terror. Embedded within Micah's vision of sitting under one's own vine and fig tree is a poetic callback to the Ten Commandments and God's covenant with God's people. The emphasis on one's own vine and fig tree is a reminder not to covet our neighbor's produce, neither desiring nor seeking to acquire more than we need and to respect the fruits of our neighbor, living our lives in the shadow of the mountain of God as the highest point in our lives. I started out with a reference to Hamilton, the musical, that was also a founding father slash George Washington reference. Washington used Micah 4.4 as his own benchmark for peace and prosperity. And he and the other founding fathers declared with the independence of our nation that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And yet, history tells us that as lofty as Washington and our nation's other founders' beliefs were, these men failed to live up to them, their own ideals, in terms of indigenous people, women, and the willful, tra willful trafficking in and enslavement of human beings. Thousands of years ago, Micah called for a reckoning. Today still, we must know, understand, appreciate, and reckon with the fullness of our history and society as a nation, both good and bad, if we want to move forward into true peace. And our orienting point cannot be reverence for ourselves and our culture, but a reverence for God. Within Micah's vision of shalom or peace, wholeness, and well-being for all, Micah prophesied good news. And Micah remains in our biblical canon in part because of a verse in Micah 5 that says, But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. The good news for us all, as prophesied in Micah, is that the one of peace would come out of Bethlehem. We know now, as the Gospels say, 
that that was Jesus born in Bethlehem. Jesus Christ came to teach us his ways that we may walk in his path. I will leave you today with words from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King from his 1964 Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech, where King described his own prophetic vision in which, quote, peoples everywhere can have three meals a day for their bodies, education and culture for their minds, and dignity, equality, and freedom for their spirits. King went on to say, I still believe that one day mankind will bow before the altars of God and be crowned triumphant over war and bloodshed, and nonviolent, redemptive goodwill will proclaim the rule of the land. And the lion and the lamb shall lie down together, and every man, every person, shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and none shall be afraid. May it be so. Thanks be to God. Amen.